Adults keep saying, we owe it to the young people to give them hope. It's beyond time to take action on climate change. But I don't want your hope. Right now, federal governments are failing to act. The city of Miami Beach is declaring a climate change emergency. So the politicians in this building can literally look out their windows and on some days see sea level rise. None of this is a coincidence. I want you to panic. Climate change is a consequence. We are in one of the frontline communities facing the climate crisis, and it is time that we speak up for our residents that are being hurt. Just from a quick little rain we got. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. I first became involved with the Clio Institute almost a year ago, once I started learning about the urgency that the climate crisis needed from young people and amounted to my own school walkout. So as a student at FIU, I study environmental science and in all my classes, climate change is sort of touched upon at the end. And I started to realize that no other issue is more ultimate than the climate crisis. And about a year ago also, I became involved with Clio because I attended their community climate symposium. In comparison to many of the cities around the world, we are, if not the most, one of the cities that will be affected detrimentally by the climate crisis. So we're talking about sea level rise, saltwater intrusion, intensified hurricanes, losing our access to safe drinking water. So being ground zero for climate change means that we are in a lot of danger and we don't have any time to really waste as a city in comparison to others especially. We're doing this because we feel that no matter how much the youth actually rose up and tackled the problem of climate change in 2019, we aren't necessarily getting the fruitful effects out to the public and the solutions and the knowledge that is needed to cultivate meaningful change. Therefore, House on Fire will act as a catalyst, not only locally in Miami, a ground zero community as Gabby spoke about, but hopefully internationally to inspire a sense of justice and knowledge among the people who will be impacted by climate change, which is frankly, everyone. There is no resilience in Miami specifically or, or other cities in this country unless everybody has a basic understanding of the crisis. Welcome back to House on Fire. A youth-led climate podcast made by and for the generation with the most at stake. I'm Gabby. And I'm JP. JP is a 17-year-old climate activist who trades his megaphone for a microphone every week. And Gabby is a 20-year-old college student and educator studying environmental science. So art has a long and significant history in activism and social movements, both in the past and in the present. And that's why this week on House on Fire, we're introducing... Artivism. Artivism. So whether we're talking about the lyrics of peace from the anti-war era or the depictions of, of life and civil rights in Norman Rockwell's paintings, we can agree that art has played a very significant role in communicating messages of justice and, and peace, uh, human emotion, political courage throughout so many movements before and their activism. And the climate movement is no different. 
Definitely. So as we've seen the climate movement pick up in the last few years, there are musicians, writers, filmmakers, artists of all kind that are incorporating climate into their work and stressing calls to action. This has led to a new sense of culture in the climate movement that's driven by the power of expression. So that's what we aim to highlight with today's episode. And in addition to that, we're not only seeing climate in the art mediums, but also in mainstream arts, things like um, the music industry, the bigger film industry, and that's undeniably also helping to raise awareness on this issue. So today on House on Fire, we're going to speak to three special guests. They include English musician Nick Mulvey, Miami-based artist Melanie Oliva, and the founder of the Bridge Initiative, Kate Fleming, each who are drivers of what we call artivism. That's right. These guests are some who don't have to pick between the titles of artist and activist, and we're really excited to have them on the show today. So we're super excited to have you guys here because you're each drivers of what we're calling artivism, which is the bridge of activism and your artistry to drive environmental issues to the forefront of our public consciousness. And we have to start with the first question. How did you start involving climate change into your work? And when when did climate change become something that you needed to start caring about? And I'd like to throw that first to Nick, and then we'll go to Melanie, and then to Kate. Mm. Okay, great. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Very happy to be a part of things. I don't think there was a specific moment for me where I um, I decided to include... Uh, these ideas in my work, because mostly my work is more of an emergent process. And for me, that's really important that um, in my practice as an artist, as a musician, as a guitarist and a songwriter, I try and escape my thinking mind and its agendas. It has a place in my creative process, but initially and, and the most part of my creative process is to feel my way to my music and and that includes even the kind of what I'm singing about I like to discover at the end of the process what it is I'm singing about mm-hmm. and but but yeah there was a there, there was a on my first album I was mostly quite veiled in my lyrics I was quite I kept things kind of uh, ambiguous and I wrote about my own internal experience and then in my second album I felt a bit more bold and I felt more confident and in that time, I felt I, I had personally become a father and Britain or the UK had voted to leave Europe and Trump was in power. And I just was like, OK, I want to talk about some things more explicitly. And, right. and that in that second album, I had a song that was about uh, fracking. And uh, that was the first time it was it was actually literally in my music. Right. And that second album is Wake Up Now, right? Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So, Melanie? Yeah, I moved to Miami in 2014 from Chicago where I was in advertising. So I kind of got back to art, doing fine art when I moved to Miami. And it kind of brought me to climate activism in a way mm-hmm. because I wanted I was exploring what I wanted to paint about. And also just seeing the issues here firsthand, actually seeing that there are, you know, fish in parking lots and, and sunny day flooding and people denying it. It really was a eye-opening for me. So I started incorporating it into my art. I started painting nature again, and that kind of brought me back into that scene. We started doing some activism with Urban Paradise Guild. Um, And I also went to a show at Swamp Space, which is owned by Oliver Sanchez in Miami. Mm -hmm. And he had a show, um, the artist was from Canada, and the 
photographs she had done were all about um, the plastic that's in the ocean and and it's showing up in the Everglades and and what can we do about that? So that really inspired me to kind of get into that niche and, and keep going. And it's kind of evolved ever since then, and I keep trying to do uh, more from that. Right, great. Thank you. Um, so I was working in fashion for 19 years, and but I did grow up here in South Florida, and my dad did a lot of pro bono work as a lawyer for Audubon and the Everglades. Um, but working in fashion in New York, I kind of lost track of nature. And then it was a bucket list trip for my dad to go to Antarctica on a Nat Geo Lindblad expedition. And that really just arose all of my environmental and nature concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it was the most wild thing to see. I mean, the most wild place on earth. Um, but even seeing there that there's habitat degradation, like um, babies being fed, fed bits, bits of ocean plastic by their mothers, the penguin colonies. And wow. it was just really devastating. So I, I came up with the idea of bridge in order to bridge artists and scientists to create public art for environmental advocacy based kind of on fashion advertising and my experiences in making trends or issues cool, mm-hmm. trying to do that for the environment. Right. Um, and then and then I'm working on a project here because I, I grew up here and I care so much about the Everglades and Biscayne Bay. Right. That's that's amazing. I think it makes us realize that, you know, all of us sitting here in this room and on the phone as well have our own climate stories and have our own personal connection to every way that we try to push forward. And it's very specific to us. So Nick raised concerns about, you know, future generations and, you know, frontline communities that he faces. And that's the same thing that we're doing now. Gabby and I are part of this future generation and you guys have had firsthand accounts of frontline communities and places I'm going to piggyback off of that for a second. So you have um, you have several songs that, um, you know, connotate lots of themes of social justice and environmental justice as well, whether it's Mayela, whether it is We Are Never Apart or whether it be in the Anthropocene. What kind of role do you see? You know, you talk about this emergent process in your in your creative process, but what brings home those themes in those songs, per se, to make the question more clear? You know, it's there is an urgency at this time to really talk about about this transition. I feel that that we're in, and that I'm feeling that I'm a part of as a as a as a person. And um, I kind of uh, I just want to sing about what's important, really. And um, I could I cannot I can't ignore. You know, I don't just want to make music that just kind of entertains people or or kind of. Um, gives them like uh, d- distraction, more distraction, you know, like it just doesn't work for me that way. So, um, yeah, I kind of, uh, I do want to like um, inspire people. I want to inspire people. I want to um, tell stories of, of hope and I want to tell stories of um, a kind a kinder world, a, a more intelligent world, a more loving and like, and kinder world, you know, so... Yeah, all those themes, when I feel them ar- arising in the music, I, I, those are the ones I really let them take form and take shape. Thank you so much. Totally. Yeah, I think that also Melanie and Kate share the same, same sentiments that the work you're doing is with a purpose. You're trying to drive, in, whether it's inspiration, education, empowerment, whatever you would call it. And Kate, I specifically want to ask you when it comes to the Bridge Initiative, I there is a model that 
bridge follows, which is connect, create, amplify, and mobilize. Can you uh, break down those steps for us and how they push Bridges' mission forward? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with artists like Nick or you, um, you know, just connecting artists to scientists in order for them to be educated and then inspired, taking them out into the field to see what's happening firsthand. And then, you know, art has the power to make people fall in love with something. And when people fall in love with something, they want to protect it. So I think artists can give that science something that, you know, really resonates with people. And so then what we try to do at Bridge, you know, I'm an artist, but I'm not working in Bridge as an artist. I'm working as like this connector. Mm -hmm. And then I have a lot of... Um, a lot of background in, in production for fashion and stuff like that. So then we try to amplify it by making billboards or hopefully we'll get to work with a musician and create an album around this, um, but just putting it back into the yeah. public eye and, and hopefully taking that science and putting it through the funnel of an artist's love and heart and then really reaching people at a different level, mm -hmm. not out of fear, but out of love. And I think that's going to really move the populations to change. Yeah, so it sounds like you aim to make the invisible visible in a way. And I think that's exactly what you also do, Melanie. Can you tell us a little bit about how not only you do that, but maybe specifically like your pollination projects and other projects? Yes, the Inspiration Pollination was one of the first um, efforts of mine of community building. And it's kind of a coalition that lives online. It's for artists, it's for um, people who are interested in gardening, it's for uh, teachers. Um, really, it was just a way of using my advertising skills, which um, really rely heavily on brainstorming and working with other people. And because you just get better ideas that way. It was a way of bringing that into art and, and activism mm -hmm. to inspire, just like Kate said, to inspire other artists to speak for pollinators, to speak for the environment. The idea was to get to actually inspire them to do artwork around pollinators and to give pollinators a voice. So it's creating awareness that way. It's essentially an advertising campaign if you're making art for pollinators and also to create empathy. And I think like Kate was saying, like whatever you love, you're going to fight for. And if you have empathy for them, you're really going to fight really hard. So yeah. um, just getting people to act is the main goal, I think, of everything that we're doing. And I saw art as a way to do that. Yeah. And I, th I think it's really important what you just said, you know, getting people to act. Calls to action are something that we all find in, in the work that we're kind of doing right now. And that brings me uh, back to you, Nick. So you've had in your second album, Wake Up Now, this song called A Mountain to Move, which is basically this call to action. But you also released a single in 2019 called In the Anthropocene. And the Anthropocene is the current geological age that we're living in, which is viewed as this age in which humans have changed what the planet looks like. And that's what Nick's song is called, In the Anthropocene. So could you tell us a bit about the message uh, behind In the Anthropocene and whether there's a call to action in that? Sure. I mean, In the Anthropocene, what does your freedom mean? Was this kind of phrase that popped into my mind. It was there one day. In the Anthropocene, what does your freedom mean? And I was kind of like, yeah, maybe that, that cuts to the heart of things right now, you know? I like that as a phrase and it became the chorus of the song because of the way that it presupposes your freedom already exists, which is not to say that on different levels of, of living in this world, there are, there is bondage, you know, we're not all free in all ways. And I recognise my privilege as a white, sing, a white man singing on a stage, you know, I don't want to say everyone's free and I know what that means. But at the same time, I do believe all my songs are always about on some level, they're always about consciousness, they're about deeper self-knowledge. Mm. And um, 
when we sit within our awareness, peace arises, freedom arises. And so uh, this, in the Anthropocene, what does your freedom mean? It kind of, it's not saying, are you free or how can we be free? It's say, it's kind of, it starts there with, with what does it mean and what are we going to do with it? But the final verse is important because there's three verses and the third one is, is, uh, is a kind of, my attempt at a kind of condensing a lot of different sort of indigenous messages from from mm-hmm. uh, from from different indigenous mm-hmm. groups um i've been yeah very uh you know um inspired by um by different indigenous groups from different parts of the world but i kind of just worked with a few messages to really kind of uh condense a few a few points you know and it's like we must remember the old ways the dreaming of the land the calling of this the rain we are life itself remembering our ways we are life itself the dreaming of the sea and we still have time we still have time that to me felt uh that was a kind of one of those more emergent revelatory things i was sitting there thinking in my life generally at that moment we don't have time. I think I had absorbed that like a lot of us on some yeah, level I, that we don't have yeah. time and it was very disabling. Yeah. I feel like w- what you just explained, like we don't have time, that's why your music clicks so much also with anybody who kind of resonates with the climate activist movement. I mean, the topic of the Anthropocene and other subjects in your music resonate with a lot of the feelings and the calls to action that we drive in this movement. And so we, I mean, I also saw that you performed at an Extinction Rebellion protest. I don't know if you specifically performed that song, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what was that like and how have you seen your music connect specifically with climate activism? Wrote the song on the Monday, went into the studio on the Friday, and then the following Monday, the the extinction rebellion began wow. and that that night i was on a stage wow. in central london and i sung the song yeah i sung the song and it was like it was a really really amazing moment i think i think other people who were there would say the same i can only speak for myself but it just felt very vibey i mean the atmosphere of those re- that rebellion was like particularly powerful it just felt like we don't know what is lying dormant within all of us until we shake it up a bit. And there were people, there were sort of clowns and performers and strange people and police and normal people just all over the streets and everything was disrupted and it felt like this energy was bubbling through. And I felt like my song was riding that energy and it was really articulating something that is very alive right now in everybody's minds. And um, and I kind of felt that that energy yeah in that moment very strongly yeah that's that's incredible i mean the role that music can play in sort of bringing out the feelings in your head out like that or that's beautiful yeah thank you for sharing that with us and i think Mm -hmm. the same goes with art visually so kind of the same question in a way to melanie and kate um i'll start with melanie how have you seen your art per invade the climate activist movement and the role it plays there my art specifically or just sure. art in general? Yeah. Um, well, I think speaking about protest art, because I do paintings that um, have more subtle messages maybe that people can hang on their wall, but I also do protest art and specifically kinetic art that moves, kind of addressing different specific issues. So I've taken those to protests. I have seen um, people take photos of them. And I think just giving an issue a visual helps because so many people are visual people and they learn visually. So if they see 
kind of a, you know, plain sign that says something cool. It might not really affect them, but if they see something moving and it's maybe a little different and it's uh, just kind of... Um, like engaging? Engaging, yeah, yeah. If it's breaking the mold, if it says something in a way that maybe reaches them, mm -hmm. um, that might change their mind. And I have seen my art change people's minds and it's kind of wild to me. Like, I still yeah. can't believe it. Like I also saw a huge caterpillar at, at some point. <laughs> yes. It was really cool. Oh, yes. I did a caterpillar um, for the March Against Monsanto. It was a really big puppet that took like eight people to carry. Um, and it just made a splash for the show. We also had people dressed as monarch butterflies. Um, so it worked there to just kind of say like, hey, the pesticides you're using in your yard are not healthy and they're mm -hmm. killing not only pollinators, but they're hurting people. Um, and we actually used that same puppet for the artist March um, that I helped co-organize in 2017 after Trump came in office. Um, we used it to speak about immigration because the butterfly is such a powerful tool for immigration. Obviously, this is also a climate issue, so it's all related. Right. Um, so I have seen that kind of uh, click in people's minds. Maybe people who are very interested in the immigration issue learned more about how it affects actual pollinators, how what the climate is affecting um, animals. So, and then yeah. people who are concerned with animals maybe learn more about immigration. Right. So if we have our visuals that actually speak to both, that's really effective. Yeah, I think it's it's super interesting that you bring up the the point of intersectionality because that's something that art can do very effectively. And then from what Kate said, which I found like super interesting and I actually want to talk about more. She said, art has this way of making you love things. And when you love things, you want to protect them. So on that note, what power or role does art have in a movement that might be different to how traditional activism is? And I'm going to throw that to you, Kate. There's a quote that I love and I don't know who came up with it, but it's art's role is to make the revolution irresistible. Mm -hmm. So wow. I think that that says it all, you know, and, yeah. and I think it's it's a tool and it, art and science used to be really connected, especially in the beginning, if you think about the Renaissance and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and somehow it became very disconnected. And right. I think, you know, we need to connect this again so that people listen to the science. And I think that a way to do it is through kind of visual or through mm -hmm. music or through films, um, every kind of other way besides just giving like dossiers or like the IPCC reports that not everybody reads. So like really finding a way to connect these two entities again and to make it irresistible for right. everybody yeah. to yeah. get on board. Yeah, I saw recently, I don't know if this is mo your most recent, but um, that the Coral City camera. Mm -hmm. so, it is our most recent project, yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So um, please tell us a little bit about that, but I'm very specifically interested in how you're using that to communicate the issue of climate more so in Miami and the issues we face in Miami, if that was the intention of the camera. Yeah, it is. Well, it's um, it's a dream of Coral Morphologic. It's a scientist-artist duo, so they're, they're kind of both, which is our first time working with that. Um, and they've had this dream, and it's also a reef that's being studied by NOAA scientists in a Crete lab. And really, it's this idea of these urban corals that live in Biscayne Bay, which a lot of people don't know that there's corals here. Mm -hmm. And then the other interesting thing is that they are doing really well, despite all of the other offshore coral reefs around the world being bleaching and having lots of diseases. So it is very specific to Miami and Biscayne Bay, but it's also maybe has the solution for other reefs. And that, that's what they're studying. Why are these corals doing so well? 
Can we splice them? Can we put them on offshore reefs? Will that help the other reefs be more resilient? Right. What makes them more resilient? So it's a very specific thing, but and it's kind of telling a beautiful story about what's happening here in Biscayne Bay in a place where you just hear about environmental disaster a lot, but really showing that there is some mm-hmm. some hope. Yeah. And can this hope be something that can solve many other areas of yeah, the world? So absolutely. So that's being live streamed on a screen on the ocean, right? On the no, water. it's actually or a lot. You can watch it right now at CoralCityCamera.com. Okay. Everybody can watch it. And okay. um, we're also going to bring it into 22 different school districts throughout South Florida awesome. as like a citizen scientist fish count. So then the kids can watch this, count the fish, and then, then that data goes back to NOAA scientists studying it so they know the residents of the reefs. Awesome. But yeah. it's really fun to watch, like, no matter where you are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I follow it. I follow it on Instagram. I've seen some of the videos of the fish. Yeah. That's super cool to hear, though. Like the merge of citizen science and art, though. Like, if you don't know what citizen science is, it's sort of taking the um, the public and having them participate in science to help with not only collecting data but engage them in scientific literacy. So to see that connected with art too, that's that's super neat. Awesome. Yeah. It's a really fun project, and it's like it gives me such joy to watch this little Biscayne Bay reef, which I now feel really like it's like my own aquarium and, and you brought up message of hope which is super important mm-hmm. and i think that might tie into like what the role of art is as well you know we try to evoke such a multifaceted sense of emotion and hope into the movements that we're trying to create and sometimes raw data can't do that mm-hmm. but what can is art again because we have this attachment to love and emotion that can you know evoke that sense and we're really happy that you came on here to share that with us. And I'm honored that you were here and we should definitely keep in touch for any further developments that are going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a strike on Earth Day. So yeah, to have do. some collab would be really cool. But yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, Nick Mulvey. Now we actually have a very special treat from Nick. So we've spoken about this song so much today called In the Anthropocene, and we are going to have the pleasure of have Nick perform it for us himself. Very good. Okay, so I'm just going to put, uh, get myself ready here. And <laughs> oh, we thought you'd be ready right away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. In the Anthropocene. Can you hear the thousand mile melody 
distant wail Calling from afar Calling through the ocean channels Saying, saying, can you treat I, <laughs> I never like trying hard to not say, to sing along <laughs> i never thought that i would be able to say that one of my favorite artists came on a podcast and recorded a song so <laughs> thank you so much nick for doing that yeah thank you so much um this was awesome you, you guys are incredible and thank you for being on the show House on Fire is brought to you by the Clio Institute, a local nonprofit organization that drives climate education in Miami, Florida. Please consider donating to fund our community programs. No amount is too little. This podcast is made possible by donors like you. To learn more about Clio, visit clioinstitute.org. Thanks for listening to House on Fire. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere podcasts can be found. All Points West production recorded at Unicorn Fire Radio in Miami.